Welcome to the Future of Australia podcast, where your host, Derek Stewart, interviews the entrepreneurs and founders running the 100 fastest growing new businesses in Australia. On episode 46, I interview Yian Williams, the co-founder and director of Maine Consulting. We discuss how he went from Wales to Manchester, to Sydney, by being willing to have a go without having a clear plan. How he got fed up of the KPI-obsessed big recruitment agencies run by private equity firms, which eventually led him to start his own business, and how he created one of the fastest-growing new recruitment companies in Australia, doing over $5.3 million in annual revenue. He explains the dramatic difference in business attitudes between the UK and Australia especially 10 plus years ago, coming out of the global financial crisis and why that drives more support and success for small businesses in Australia. Why work from home or hybrid working is here to stay, trends with staff shortages and pros and cons of training graduates and new staff in the office versus remotely. If you're interested in workforce solutions and augmenting project teams, providing you with the right resourcing strategy for your business, check out main.com.au. That's M-A-N-E.com.au. So I'm here with Yian Williams, the director and co-founder of Main Consulting. Welcome to the podcast, Yian. Thanks for having me, Derek. That's all right. So can you tell us what were you doing before you started Main Consulting? What did you study? What type of companies did you work in? Doing what roles? Oh, well, how, how far would you like me to go back to? Oh, to, as, as early to, as you <laughs> want. First job, uh, first sort of side business, whatever, wherever you like to start. Yeah, I, um, well, I went to university in, in Wales, in, in Aberystwyth Uni, and studied business and economics. And um, from there, I did lots of part-time jobs and, and everything else just to put, put myself through uni. But at the end, I, um, I got a got a graduate job through um, Sage, the accounting software, and they put you out to a to a small business that was sort of local to, to where I lived at the time. Um, and I worked in sales and, and marketing there for, for a couple of years. Um, and from there, I, I moved to, to Manchester, which is one of the, the bigger towns near to where, where I lived, and um, got into recruitment. And because I was from an accounting background, they without sort of no, um, with no forethought, they just put me straight into the accounting team there, um, recruiting to, into the accountants, um, worked there for a couple of years, and then made the journey to the other side of the world, really, to, to do something similar over here um, for a, an organization that was private equity owned, and slowly moved through the ranks there to, to be um, sort of the director, national director of the, the accounting and finance business, and then moved into sort of a, a, more of an IT twist um, to it after that. So, so you're in Wales, you're studying accounting, uh, is that right? But, but no, you worked in no. or economics? It was economics, yeah. I, I kind of moved away from, from the accounting side and then slowly it pulled me, pulled me back in. But I did do the accounting side. Um, I tried to avoid it in uni, but sort of moved towards the, the economics um, aspect and then over time got pulled back into the accounting side. And was economics just like general sort of business interest, like you mentioned, sort of side jobs while you're working? Were you genuinely ever thinking of being an economist, working in a bank, working in government? Was that ever a pathway? 
Absolutely not. I've, um, I was, as I was saying to you before we um, we hit the play button, I've listened to a few of your your podcasts previously, and um, there's so many impressive people that you you've spoken to that always knew what they wanted to do and um, had a very clear idea of. I'm going to study this. I'm going to do this next, and um, I'm, I'm really going to take this idea forward. I'll be completely honest with you. I've sort of bounced from from one thing to to another without too much thought. It's only since we decided to set up Maine that I really had any kind of put any forethought into it, rather than um, going, well, that's just the next the next thing you do. You know, you you finish high school. What's the next thing you do? Well, I'll go to university. You finish university. What's the next thing you do? I'll get a grad job. I'm a bit, bit too, a bit too, um, too. I need to stretch my sort of spread my wings a little bit. Move to a big city, and then I suppose the big leap was moving from from the UK to to Australia, which, which again, I suppose we'll come on to it. But that was largely down to um, I'd booked tickets for the cricket, <laughs> and um, <laughs> a couple of couple of months before, I'd um, uh, the 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 nights were drawing in, in in dark and gloomy Manchester and I just thought what am I doing I might as well have a look for a job over, over there and I managed to get a job before I came came over here um to to Australia offering the sponsorship and and everything else and that's pretty much how it all happened there was no sort of um plans and I think that you know probably speak for a lot of people who who just go through that kind of process without you know planning that you know one day I'm gonna gonna do this or one day I'm gonna do that it's kind of you just do whatever's in front of you at that particular time um you know largely because people need to to pay the bills or or do what they need to do and there's not really an option to you know take a year out or um to you know to to find themselves in india or whatever it might be when you, <laughs> you take that year out you know i, I just think it's just a case of just doing it what was next um so yeah that's pretty much what happened and so the first job was sort of selling the sage software is that right marketing and sales were you interested in marketing and sales or again you sort of it wasn't a lot of interest in economics and just they were hiring marketing and sales. You thought business guy, the hiring grads, and you just kind of fell into that? Or um, what was that sort of um, first role like in terms of what you looked that's, for? That's, that's exactly what happened. I think I took that that job. as I got offered a couple of grad jobs, um, and that was one that was offering a, um, a company car. So that's, <laughs> that's one of the reasons that I took that one. And um, it was a fantastic um, little uh, company that um, that I worked for. There, a company called um, Computer Solutions Cymru, which is Cymru is, is the Welsh word for Wales. Um, and they, um, yeah, Nir and Ross, the two two directors there, had a business of about 10, 10 people. And it, you know, it wasn't a case that that's just all you did. It was a sales and and a marketing. It was all sort of um, worked like any small business, which I'm, I'm sure we'll come on to. Um, a lot of the grad roles that my friends from university that are taken with you know, big four accounting firms, very different to the experience that um, that I had. So no, there wasn't a wasn't a um, a burning desire to sell accounting software. Um, were you was, aiming for the big four? Like were you aiming? No, for, like no. with your friends and, and classmates, or no? You just aim for any job. Weren't too fussed about where and who and what, and they just happened to like you and hire you and. Pretty much it, yeah. And, and again, I, I could, I should try and, um, you know, reinvent my story a little bit and say that you know I wanted to get that small business experience, or um, I wanted to uh, to get a uh, you know a good grounding or whatever it might be. It set me up really well, um, that's for sure. For what I've what I've eventually done. But um, no, not, there wasn't a, wasn't a plan or thought that went into it. And, and once you're in it, I mean, did you really, you, you know, did you have natural knack for sort of sales and people, or was it something you just learned as you went, or you didn't like it and then over time evolved, like you said, more towards the recruitment space? 
um, or how is that sort of once you're actually in these roles, in your early roles and sort of working? I think um, I think the sales side was something that came a bit more naturally to me than perhaps most people. Um, I think that, you know, that's not saying that I'm the world's best salesperson or whatever it might be, but it's more a case of the, the confidence to, to speak to people. And, you know, there's a lot of cold calling that would have gone on back in the old days. And that didn't overly phase me initially. Um, so, you know, that that's a real big barrier to, to get into a sales job back then. Um, and the, the recruitment side sort of evolved because you know that they were looking for salespeople um, in in that space and and you know recruitment, especially back then, was very much a, a KPI driven role where sales was the core of it, um, and it sort of correlated quite well to so I suppose what I was doing previously. And, and again, so you make that transition into recruitment. I mean, we like I said you had a bit of a knack for it, but did you enjoy it straight away? Did it grow on you? Were you again good at it, and you just kind of again, like you said, kind of worked your way up and uh, across different organisations? Yeah, I, th- I think it was only since I came to to Australia that I really started to to take it seriously. It was it was almost a between role that you know a role that allowed me to come to Manchester or you know get get into the, into the city in, in Manchester. It wasn't a case of I think very few people, if if any, you know, grow up as a little boy or little girl <laughs> and uh, dream of being a recruitment consultant. You know, it, it just doesn't happen. Sometimes you fall into it. The, the old joke because it was the the thing you did before teaching. You know, these people sort of would earn a bit of money and then go and do it. The uh, I would say that I would be I'd be quite generous to myself. I said I was probably one of the one of the middling or average consultants in mm. in the the business there that I worked for. Um, it was. I, I must say I enjoyed it more when we were um, we were a smaller business, so we a medium-sized business, a company called Bagnock and Clark, and um, which I believe still exists, but they were taken over by um, Adeco, one of the larger organisations, which is a similar theme to what happened in um, in Australia a few years later, and it it just became a little bit less like the the personal side of it, and again very KPI driven, and again that wasn't necessarily me of trying to trying to fit in a the particular box of doing x amount each day to get a particular results i think there is a personal side to to what we do um which needs to be needs to be sort of um uh developed and and, and used in the right way um so yeah i, I wouldn't say that it was something I, you know I, I thought when i was in in manchester in 2008 that i was going to be i think if you just said to my colleagues back then that i would have my own business in australia as a within recruitment and, and, their, and then consulting um, in that space, I think they probably would have laughed at that that, uh, that scenario back then. So again, and, it's something that has evolved since I've been mm. over here. And so you visited Australia, is that right? And then you liked it from being a, a tourist and seeing the cricket, and then you wanted to work. So, so your first role was as an employee in Australia, was that right? It was an employee, but that actually happened the other way around. I didn't actually, hadn't been to Australia previously. Um, a couple of friends of mine who we'd been travelling previously, as in you know, a couple of weeks here and there, we decided to come to the Ashes mm-hmm. in 2010, I believe it was, and um, we booked tickets and obviously I booked a return flight, and then the the September October time before the December we were supposed to fly out, um, I just thought. I might as well give it a crack and and see what's out there. And I was lucky enough to get a get an opportunity to, to come out here to Australia. Um, so I still had the return ticket. I just decided to to stay um, based on the you know the the job offer that 
that I got before I came out here. So it was a bit sort of, you know, things fell into place and, um, and yeah, luckily never needed that return ticket. <laughs> and there's an appeal, obviously, when you're on holiday, you're looking around, you're traveling. What was the reality like once you started, obviously, moving from Wales and then you work in Manchester, moving to a new market a lot further away? Um, I imagine, obviously, a lot of cultural similarities, but also some differences. What was your early sort of work experience like in Australia? Um, better than expected, worse, things were different, some minor sort of culture shocks in the work environment or, you know, they were, or the recruitment industry specifically being different? Um, well, <laughs> I went straight into an office full of full of palms, basically in Irish. <laughs> um, so it didn't make too much cultural difference. Um, the I think the the size of market was vastly different. So so the the market over here was felt larger than the Manchester market because I was focused very much on Manchester and Liverpool rather than London. So the Sydney market itself felt a lot larger. And again, I probably suffered from um, from feeling like. Um, I probably probably argue people would argue that um, I have a battle of, of confidence and imposter syndrome. I think so. I, I went over there and I thought, oh, all these people were from have been here before, or um, they had uh, come from London, a bigger market, so they would know better than me. And it took me a little while to realise, oh, actually, I can I can do this, and and um, I wasn't bad at, at it compared to them. Um, and the problem as well, the, the recruitment industry used to have back then as well, is is that people would use it as a ticket to come to Australia rather than actually take it seriously, potentially. I'm sure that has changed. Um, so I was very much, you know, keen to, to, um, to, to prove my worth and, and to, to make sure that um, it wasn't a wasted trip out here. Whilst I think a lot of people at that time were, were happy to just do a six months a year and, and then, you know, travel somewhere else and perhaps weren't, weren't um, giving it their all, let's say. So, you know, it was quite a, um, and it, it's a difficult time, but enjoyable at the same time um, with regards to, um, you know, finding your way in the market. And, and it, again, it was very different to, to you know, Manchester. I'll put it that way. It's, it was, it was um, you know, we, we were going through the time in, in Manchester of uh, the austerity measures after the, the GFC and, and the, in the UK generally, where, you know, rather than spend themselves out of the recession, it was more of a case of, you know, hold tight and don't spend anything under um what's his name david cameron so it's kind of very different approach to the world down here than it was was up there and um that positivity rubs off on you and it, it really sort of makes you think that you know you really can um you can can do something uh, really positive rather than just survive really which i think is a real a real positive in in for, for australian culture generally and so fairly soon, like you said, a lot of people come, they do a stint, maybe three, six, 12 months, and they go home, a bit of a working holiday. Was fairly soon you realised Australia was where you wanted to be for the you know the decade, next decade or ongoing permanently? Yeah, I think so. I um, I, I think from, from my side, I wanted to prove to, to you know, family and friends that mm. it, was, it was the right decision. Um, and, you know, I didn't want to come back with my tail between my legs. And it was more that that sort of drove me on. And also... Um, Sydney is a very expensive place to live as well. So you know you you, you soon you, you soon realise that you you know you you need to 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 work hard and and earn more to to enjoy the the better things in life in in Sydney as well. Um, so that was a big sort of aspect to it. And when I came over, I I got the the four year visa um, at the time. Um, and um, you know that was that was what I was thinking. You know I, I will give it that for those four years unless you know they don't want me for any reason um you know here i am 11 12 
maybe 13 years later and um uh you know it's, it's there's no going back at this stage <laughs> yeah and so you're working obviously as an employee some small business a medium business in different markets you know, working around, you're ambitious working hard but what made you want to start your own business um was there a certain um were you between jobs were you fed up with a job were you um you know with some friends and saying we could do this better like you mentioned different things in the industry that weren't that are always ideal. You've got this experience across multiple geographies and different sectors, finance, IT. You know, what was that moment or that experience that made you want to start a business or was it something that was burning away for a while before you really um, jumped in? I think it was a, there's a number of factors. So my, my role before setting up um, main with, with my colleagues was, um, was with a, an organisation that was private equity owned mm-hmm. and they had offices all around. Um, all around the world, um, and yeah, I managed to progress through that business to to manager level. Then I was the um, the, the national director for that business mm-hmm. um, that was focused on financial and accounting recruitment. Um, and then from there, I was promoted to take over the the larger IT business as well. Um, so that I think that business had, was you know 120 million turnover, and and, and I was responsible for that, that those sales um targets not just myself obviously the, the team um underneath me so um it was a real sort of um sort of rapid rise uh to to that point over the five or six years that i was there um and you know there was there was skills that i didn't have um that i lacked as i went through and there was some things i was pretty good at but i suppose the biggest the biggest um change in that time was we were taken over because of private equity mm-hmm. running quite lean and um, we were sold off to to the largest um, recruitment business in the world, who are very good at what they do, um, but perhaps wasn't right for me. And that coincided with me taking over the larger job. And um, yeah, I, I, you know, looking back on it now, I wasn't very good for them, and they weren't very good for me. But we we, we battled together for a year to try and <laughs> try and make it work. Um, probably from a lack of options from their side, and, and probably from myself as well. And I think from that beginning that middle of that year or maybe on it it was very clear that i needed to to do something different in a different environment um and the more i thought about it and the more conversations i had you know i realized i, I had the the skills and my, and my colleagues who, who joined joined me uh, we had the skills and the ability to do it ourselves um you know the 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 autonomy was what we wanted because we had a certain level of autonomy in the private equity side and you know we can make decisions we couldn't spe- spend too much money because of the private equity side but if we wanted to hire someone for growth or we felt this was the right way the business to, was to go to get results we were allowed to get on and do it that changed overnight um and i understand why and, and the, the you know the decisions that that um that was made is absolutely right for, the, for their business it just wasn't right for what i wanted to do um so yeah the decision we made that was we were going to do something ourselves so myself um joe uh, initially who was the top salesperson in the the accounting finance side and eventually um mark who was the 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 top salesperson in the the it side of the business in, in the sydney office um we decided to set up main consulting um with the view to to put the put the customer in front of every thought that every decision that we made mm-hmm. because I, I think because of the size of organizations 
um, the larger multinational organizations. They obviously need to, to manage internally a lot more than mm-hmm. smaller business does. Um, and, you know, they need needs that rigor, needs that, you know, those KPIs, those rules, those, those that structure um, to do it. But I don't sometimes think that works well to for a lot of clients. And a lot of a lot of customers. It does work with larger customers and where they where they need that compliance. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think in in some customers of similar size to ourselves and, and and SMEs in general, they they perhaps need that flexibility and, and need that sort of human touch, especially in our industry where you know it is very much um, a a personal relationship that you have um, with it. So we did that, and, and after a slow, um, I say slow, you know, we we were. We were steady, but not not um, blowing the lights out in the first couple of years. Um, we started to see the returns, and and uh, one of the results is now we're speaking to you. So yeah, <laughs> and, and so going on those first year or two, was was there any point where you thought I've made a big mistake? I should just go back and get a job, maybe a smaller agency, boutique, non venture capital sort of one, or was the 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 result was slow but sort of incrementally getting better and over time so you knew you're on the right path and you never really questioned should you be running your own business are you ready is the market right are, are you right a, a sort of like so even the, the uh, customer-centric approach and, and a lot of ideas sound good on paper but then when your your income depends on them working and, and um was there any sort of doubts or second thoughts or you just kept sort of pushing ahead in those early uh, early years yeah, every idea is good on paper, and then mm-hmm. um, there's there's a there's a whole whole industry and and um, based on based on that I think. But we, um, I don't, I, I can't speak for Joe um, because you know we, we we did joke quite honestly about it, um, and, and Joe and I were the I was both the founding members, although Mark mm-hmm. was was always very much in our in our thoughts. Um, it never came to the point where what have we done? You know, we need to get some 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 money in somewhere somehow we certainly didn't in, it's it was quite strange actually in, in some cases we 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 beat expectations in some, what we were looking to do and in other cases we didn't bring on the people that we wanted to bring on and you know we joe and i were probably working harder than we'd done previously put it that way um but we you know we were still you know bringing in enough to to live on just about but that those first six months you know it was you know the american express certainly got a got a hammering <laughs> from from myself and and it was a it was a it was a it was tough but wasn't um it wasn't the pressure the bad pressure that that it was, and I think people you know, that last year that I had in my my previous role, where it was just not an enjoyable environment environment for me, and you know there was many things, you know that I did that perhaps didn't make it any easier for myself either. Um, there was a big difference in me and my mental health and and the enjoyment levels of it. Um, so yeah, I suppose if you take a step back and you look at where we are now compared to where we were then, yeah, that was quite a quite a tough time. And um, but at no stage, I don't think we thought. You know, we, this was this was a big mistake. I think we thought this is a tough time. We're going to trade ourselves out of it, or whatever it might be. And you know, luckily there was always some some sort of um, light at the end of the tunnel. You know, just get through this, and this will happen, or you know, whatever will happen. So, yeah, it's uh, I suppose to answer you, answer your question more succinctly, um, we we never had any doubts with this decision that we we're going to stop. There was always a, a, a quite a, a steadfast view of what we were going to do. Yeah, so any obviously the, the drop in sort of salary and the expense account and the other things were made up for by the increased autonomy, um, control, like because you're in charge and you're not, you, you can 
run the business the way you want. You're not subject to the whims of a giant global multinational. Okay. And so, again, you really started to build momentum, hit your stride. You grew 56% last financial year, doing nearly $6 million in annual revenue. So really sort of getting that momentum um, and success going, becoming one of the fastest growing new businesses in Australia. So what was it a compounding of a lot of small factors that sort of ramped up? Was it a big new account? Was it a new strategy, a new desk that you sort of added or service line? What sort of caused that sort of rapid growth? Um, And then what was the experience like, the good and the bad of suddenly sort of growing and having to deliver on all that sort of growth and manage it? Yeah, just hearing you you sort of say 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 like that does make me feel like um uh you know i'm i'm going to get found out any second here and <laughs> and um, realize i'm not supposed to be here but um i think you know it, it's very um it might sound strange to say we were actually quite disappointed with aspects of last year mm-hmm. um you know covid is obviously the the biggest um thing that any business had to to adapt to um and we had a, a number of sales or a number mm-hmm. of um a number of pieces of work that we were we were agreed to do on the consultancy side that just didn't eventuate because of covid or a new lockdown or whatever it might be so i i would say that we we were you know probably six to seven months of the year we did very well and then the other months we we really you know it was it was about sort of um dealing with the, the situation um because of the the lockdowns and the uncertainty and you know, businesses not looking to hire because they didn't know what was around the corner um but the this i think the you know the success that we've had or the the you know the, the moderate success we've had has come down to the continuation of us doing the right things over and over again and, and that's probably the most boring answer you've ever had on this but we've, we've built a, a business and and um a structure i suppose in terms of the way that we work that works for us and you know we have regular um regular targets regular meetings of what we want to achieve and the clients that we've we've got have you know we've, we've probably brought on um maybe 50 new clients last year mm-hmm. um that just from word of mouth and the work that we've done through um industries that relate to each other where we've been referred on and it's just about being there and, and continuously doing a doing a, a good job for your clients um you know you only get one reputation um so if you keep enhancing that it, it's going to keep going and keep going and have that sort of snowball effect so there was never one sort of light bulb moment that that made us go well this is a big year for us or this is what's happened it's been a case of consistently doing the right things and adding on top of it and the the recruitment and consultancy work that we do um does have that snowball effect you know if you if we do take on a piece of work from one of the large banks um we tend to get get it in five and tens and, and 15 um and you know if we put five good people into a project you know, we have, the reputation goes, and and the you know the department will ask for Maine again, or ask for a specific individual again, um, and it tends to take on that way. So you know, we, we're hopeful that that's the trajectory it's going to go. But you know, we we've just got to keep doing the right things. And as you grew, was it ever hard? Like you said, it's easy to have a, a really high touch high service experience when it's you and maybe two co-founders as you build a team you're dealing with big four banks dealing with these big clients you're scaling up like so you got goals and and systems but was it ever hard to maintain those early values of you know client first and things like that i'm sure candidate first and um as you sort of grew and you know was was that ever sort of challenged and something you had to sort of not default back into your your previous you know large recruitment companies and and how they run things yeah it's it can be 
it was, let's say it was tough for some stage because we, we brought people on and, and because we were so protective of our reputation early doors, um, I suppose that um, myself and Joe and, and Mark, and we, we were very keen to, to deliver well. And, you know, whether it's, um, you know, a, a personal pride thing or, or arrogance where you feel you can do the job best, you would probably take the lead on it and you, you're not... Um, you're not giving away the piece of work that you should do to, to the right person or, you know, there's not, not a, um, a broader focus of main delivering it is about yeah and delivering the piece of work. And there was a requirement to, to, to delegate and take that step back. The people we've, we've got for us now are, are fantastic and, and they're porting completely to what we're, we're looking to do. Um, and we, you know, from, in many cases we would like to take more of a step back and, and they they want to take more work on so that's hard that's been a process which we're, we're certainly getting better at one thing that i suppose made it even tougher is that we're now 100 percent working from home um you know we made that decision it was, it was enforced upon us initially um our, our, our lease ran out april 2020 or, or whatever it might be um and we we made that decision to to hold it off a little bit and see how things go and then lock down lock down and it just didn't quite eventuate and we we nearly signed the lease sort of back end of um of of last year and then there's another northern beach lockdown in sydney and um i just thought you know we've got really good people what is the you know the, who we trust and they're doing a fantastic job and completely accountable for the for the work that they do um we speak to them every single day on teams and and um, you know we have that structure and rhythms in place where when we do need to meet up with clients and, and we do like to have that physical you know interaction with with our, our teams we can meet up and get a we work office or whatever it might be for for a day or two um it just means that we are we're putting the emphasis of of um of the work and the, the their role onto the, the employee it's not a case that we're prescribing what they need to do you know they've got eight hours or five hours however long they want to work in a day and it's down to them how successful they, they they want to be. And um we, we may come to a point where we come back in to an office where we need to bring on more people and, and we need to bring on people and train them up, which is a lot harder to do on uh, on Zoom and uh, Teams. Um but uh, at the moment it's 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 uh, it's working pretty well and has worked pretty well. Um whether the autonomy that people have wanted from those larger businesses, they can get that from us straight away. Um and you're trusted straight away. Um, and there's a lot of organisations that are really struggling to come to terms. And you know, we recruit for these some of these organisations where they want people in the office five days a week, and it just completely turned. You are eliminating large chunks of the market now. We've all had a taste of working from home, and we've all had a taste of what it's like to run your own day and not have that hour commute. Um, so you completely cut out the market. And I think that hopefully, you know, the world world has changed for for the better. Um, for for the longer term, and the, the world of work has changed for the better for the longer term as well. So across these various clients, and, and like you said yourself, I mean, do you see the, the long term trend? Obviously, there's individual companies, some that were remote pre pandemic, and some that um, you know are, are sort of maybe going that way now. Do you see a hybrid model, two three days in the office, uh, a flexible model again, where like I said, Pilkins are checking to a WeWork or a, a co working space? Do you see uh, a lot of your clients going, you know, completely remote? Um, you know, as on, on an ongoing basis, 
there's a lot of sort of media pieces and hype and opinions and trends, but, but what are you sort of seeing on the ground, talking to companies every day about their staffing, I guess, policies and hiring and plans and and um, in, in the future in sort of work from home versus the office versus sort of combination? I think it's all about choice. The I think the, the days of prescribing this is what you need to do. And, and again, you could argue that we're doing that now by saying we work from home, but we I think we will come to that hybrid model where we will have a, a an office or a, a couple of days a week that we come in because culture is is quite is still quite difficult to define um, when you're not working in a in a physical building every single day. Um, the the when it comes back to choice, I think we are going to come to a point where there will be a physical office for for most businesses, um, and there may be rules in place for, for larger organizations that if you are new or you're a grad or whatever it might be that you know you are expected to come into the office x amount of times a, a week um i think it was um goldman sachs was, was very big on this in in their new york and london offices where their grads that came through they didn't necessarily learn from the computer screen they learned from being around others they learned from you know the people that are on their team and you know the 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 tangibles and the intangibles of, of what it takes to be that in, to to do well in this business so there's no right or wrong answer i think it's going to come down to, to to personal choice where and when you're in an interview situation the the organization in the perfect world would be able to say what works for you you know and it could come down to you know, um, a, 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 a male or female who has got a young family that says, look, I actually like working from home um, because, you know, I've got the kids drop off and by the time I get into the office or, you know, I like actually coming in on Friday or whatever it might be, that an organisation can um, can adapt to it. You know, and, and I'm in a very different position to, um, you know, to, to let's say, a 21-year-old who's just coming into the world of work where they may not know people. And, you know, I'm just thinking back to when I was in my grad role or when I first moved to Manchester or first moved to, to Sydney. Um, if I hadn't had that interaction in office, um, you know, it would have been very difficult to adapt. So it, it is about the offering what works for the for the individual. And, you know, there's so much individuality, a focus on individuality at the moment. I realise I think organisations all need to to be able to have a bespoke view to to individuals, which is a lot harder you know the higher up the food chain you get with um the size of organizations um but yeah just from from our side um you know I, I, it's a lot harder to hire for organizations at the moment that have mm. a very prescribed view on the world yeah so, so speaking of work from home trends like you said different organizations with different views and how that sort of interacts with the candidate market a, a big topic is sort of staff shortages skill shortages um, uh, you know, recurring to the topic, different themes. Obviously, there's the level of sort of hospitality, retail, pick and pack sort of factory, blue collar in-person roles. And there's the, the level of sort of, um, you know, uh, white collar office roles, like I said, banking, IT, finance, things like that. Um, how, what's your sort of, you know, view on this? Is this something that's hitting a lot of your clients? Is it, it's not a staff shortage, it's, you know, a shift in wages, like I said, a shift in choice. So maybe someone wanting five days a week in the office employees won't find them but it's not a lack of staff it's a lack of staff willing to go five days a week in the office or how have you sort of seen these dynamics sort of evolve in the last you know year or two yeah it's been a it, it well to, to 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 answer your question it, it's changed dramatically and it has had a real impact um the it's been a bit of a perfect storm i would say because we have 
when when there was choice of of candidates and there was good candidates out on market, employees didn't want to hire because of the uncertainty. And as soon as um, I suppose a, a, a momentum shift changed and they realised, well, the world's still going to spin and we're still going to have the you know have the BAU and and um, keep moving. And you know, keep in mind that Australia was not as hit not as badly hit as a lot of places in the world from an economic sense and, and also from a from from a um a healthcare perspective as well um that what we've lost is the international market completely so and not only that we've lost the international students which was a huge percentage of the grads that came through that will cut stay on um on the uh, student visas and eventually get PR in specific industries. So we've completely lost that. It's slowly coming back now. So in the the more specialized area that areas that we work, the accounting, finance, the IT space, if I'm speaking more broadly, data analytics, um, we lost a huge um piece of our our market in terms of the skills that we would we would normally get. And that's not saying that there's not good skills in Australia. There there certainly is. But if you look at any vibrant economy, um it it they get Good skills from from elsewhere, um, you know, whether that be London, New York, wherever it, wherever it might be, the, the best a lot of skills would come from from outside and fill fill the gaps. And, and we would lose good people to you know on on working holiday visas to London and whatever it might be. So what's happened? And I was, I was listening to the um, to the economic update earlier, where they're saying we're close to four percent unemployment and and saying saying how great that is. Well. It depends which way you look at it. You know, you, you know, just start. It, the four percent um, unemployment figure is is not really showing the true factor of of, of what's going on. Um, you know, you, the, what doesn't break down is who who are those four percent? You know, are, are these people who are are looking for work? And based on the the numbers that we see, you know, there's very few people who who won't work at the moment who can't find it in a certain particular area unless it's quite niche um so that four percent figure isn't something we want to bang the drum to all it says is that we are as an as an economy we're short of skilled people um and hopefully over time and it's happening now and the changes in visas where we are getting people from overseas who are looking to take on some jobs and some people who are, are staying on after their grads um their, their graduation are going to fill that void um, you know, just looking at one of the areas of work that, that I work in and is risk and audit and compliance. That area was very much um, reliant on people from overseas coming in to, to take those those roles, you know, whether that be from the UK, Ireland, the US, China, India, wherever it might be. That just stopped, completely stopped overnight. Um, so there was a big loss in that. And what happened there from purely um, a supply and demand point of view, you now have people in that that um, market who are commanding inflated salaries. You could argue that they probably should have got that in the first place. That's another comment. Um, but the that what that will happen in two years' time or a year's time, you know, there will be sort of that you know the equilibrium needs to be found again about what's actually the right price for particular salaries in particular roles. So um, it it's still going to change i think some of the the bigger players in in the market are going to have to adapt and perhaps um realize that they their employees aren't lucky to work for them which i think was a view of, of what was taken by some of the the larger organizations mm. with large brand names you can't get away from it anymore you know there's mm. so much information available to people that you can't really just rely on a, a brand name and and the, the historical ways you used to go 
from a career path things have changed so much so um it'd be interesting to see what happens over the next 12 months at least yeah no definitely and, and so um zooming out a bit from recruitment and the current sort of market you, you've worked in different countries different markets i'm sure working with multinational organizations clients things like that um what trends do you see in entrepreneurship in australia you know what are australian entrepreneurs business owners people you engage with or watch you're doing really well and where are there areas where you think they may be a bit behind certain other markets or um you know leaving um opportunities on the table i think i touched on it before i think the, the positivity side of things mm-hmm. so even you know you know you could turn it turn on the news and obviously you only see the 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 negatives but i think from a from a, a cultural perspective australia has got such more of a positive view on each other and a positive view on 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 the future as well i'm not saying that it's all doom and gloom in (laughs) in europe or whatever it might be but i think if you know if i was you know i go go to a barbecue and they say what are you doing i said i've I've got my own business you know it's kind of a a, you know good on you mate pat on the shoulder type type thing if if i was to say the same in in the uk you know it's it's um there may be sort of an intake of breath through through the teeth going oh you know good luck type type thing you know because it's seen as a hard hard slug that there is a that, that view of giving giving people a go over here um and i think that there there is that um you know i do have the ability depending on no matter who, who i speak to 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 pick up the phone and speak to someone and they might be happy to speak to me um more times than not compared to you know a few more barriers to entry and it, there is no there is no sort of barrier to entry to to start a business over here you know you you just look at the the culture you know around um the small business market whether that be restaurants tradies whatever it might be you know that there is that focus on on having your own business and and being your own boss and um you know the the i suppose the one thing that um i think can can be improved is there the i think sometimes when it comes to the, the taxation system of of it I think it sometimes can be prohibitive and and complicated for small businesses. Obviously, you need a good accountant, and um, you know, long may that continue for for my industry. But I think sometimes it can be, um, you know, that you give with one hand, and, and the governments tend to be very very good at sort of the R and D um, benefits. And obviously, through COVID, they helped through helped a lot of organisations um, through things. But then, the taxation system here seems to to really um you know to, to hold back sometimes you know for, from you know i think it was a real positive thing that um more internationally those tax havens were completely um there's agreement on tax havens in, internationally you know it's a bit of a joke that ourselves and um you know bob the builder down the road who's doing a great job He's paying more tax than Amazon, the corporate mm. tax than Amazon over here, you know, despite profits being made in Australia. So I think that will change completely. And I think that's something that the the, the, the buying public don't realise with with that is that if you support local and you support, you know, your, your local business, not not necessarily just Maine, you know, support the local businesses as well. <laughs> you you are helping Australia as a as a, an economy more broadly because of the taxation system. Mm. I'm not saying that you know you shouldn't use these American or, or european or or asian multinationals but there needs to be a bit of a change i think from that side um rather than the smaller businesses picking up the tap all the time yeah and, and you mentioned that so the attitudes the culture the mindset which you've experienced living across different markets 
Do you ever theorise on why? Is it the weather? Is it the history? Is it the economic situation over the last couple of decades? Is it, you know, the space, the, the scale of the population, density? Do you ever sort of reflect or, or ponder on why people, the ones you meet in, the, in maybe your industry, your space, or in, in your sort of social life are more upbeat, positive, supportive of people having a go versus a bit more, like I said, negative, maybe pessimistic, things like that? Yeah, well, well, I'm, I'm going to try and not bore you here because I'm a real sort of history um, buff when it comes to to sort of the history of Australia and and, and European um, influence on it. Um, I, I'm, you know, it's it's difficult to get get into the cliches of of you know the the sun and the beach and <laughs> and um, the positivity that comes with that. And it's all doom and gloom in the UK or, or whatever it might be because it's it's certainly not like that um, c- completely. I think there's a there's a bit more. There's a there's a bit more sort of just just go and do it attitude over here compared to 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 the UK and you've also got to remember that there's a there's a you know without going too deep about it there's a there's a, a class system in the UK mm-hmm. you know and it's it's not it's not complete as it used to be there's, you know mm-hmm. we just don't have uh, you know um, lords and, and and ladies walking around mm-hmm. the place telling the service what to do but <laughs> it it very much um, is a case where this is a this you know, apart from some pockets, there's it's a classless society. So there's nothing stopping me or stopping you, or there shouldn't be something stopping someone else in making a success of it. You know, it's all should be down to the individual. In in the UK um, and and other European countries, perhaps there is that very, very much of you know this is this is what you were you were born to do, and you know if you got that job down the road, then that's going to be your job for the next x amount of years, and and then slowly you know you. You enjoy what you can in, in in that situation. I think over here, um, you know, and, and America to 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 the same extent, I suppose, where you know it, it's very much down to the individual, and there sh- there is the viewpoint that you should be able to reach your potential, and you know that upward social mobility should be allowed to happen, depending on what you bring to the table, rather than where you've come from, or the money that you've come from, or the family you've brought in, been brought into. So I think that's probably the you know, to 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 make a, a simple question complicated, I think that has a big as- aspect to it. The weather's great, and you know the 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 positivity around that obviously obviously helps. But I think from a business point of view and from an entrepreneurial point of view, anyone should be allowed to do it. You know, and and that's not to say that you couldn't do it in the UK, but that there is that that obvious um, historical issue. And how do you think those sort of barriers would sort of manifest? Is it like you said, someone says, hey, I've got an idea, I want to start a business, but they say, no, don't bother, and they kind of like drag them back down, maybe because they say you're not from the right family, like so the right sort of strata of society? Or is it, again, a lot of things, like you said, maybe you can't call the CEO of a company or call someone and have that conversation and access those networks or those early sort of capital or staff or, or other things? How do you think some of these sort of play out in sort of practical terms across the two sort of markets? Yeah, look, it's, it's important that you know I don't go too big on the on the UK saying that the reason I'm not a billionaire in the UK is because of you know the the, the aristocracy. That's not not at all the, the situation. But um, I think look, and, and I haven't lived in the UK for um, twelve years now, so it's it's very difficult for me to say about it. But the I would say that it was it was very much a case of when I when I left, put it put it this way, after you know after the GFC you were lucky to have a job that mm. was the view you know hold on tight this is this is you now do what you can do to make ends meet when i came over to australia it was very much a mindset of what's the best you can be 
and that that's that was you know perhaps my that was probably me rather than the you know the mm. <laughs> the, the the two thousand year old history of the, mm. the monarchy in, in the UK. So you know I, I think that might be the better way to to look at it. Um, but I do I do think there's a there's a def, definite shift. I've got friends in the UK who've set up their own business and doing fantastically well, um, and you know they they might have a different sort of spin on it. But I think from from my side, and I probably did this before any of the the friends that I know have set up their businesses that it was all very positive when I told people I was going to set up my own business there was there was never you know be careful of what might happen or be careful of the the negatives or be careful of this it was kind of you know go and do it and I think that's the the mentality that I've taken throughout it and, and my um, my colleagues have as well yeah and, and so looking back to someone who's young you know, 18, 21 years old in that sort of pivotal stage, like you said, maybe they're studying something their friends or family told them to, but they don't really know what they want to do. Maybe they think of relocating from Australia abroad, from the UK abroad. So, so they're sort of, you know, young, free, curious, you know, that they want to do something, but they don't know what to look or where to start or, or what to begin. Um, you know, what advice would you give someone at that sort of pivotal sort of stage um, based on your own sort of life experience and the different journey you've been on? Um, like... I, it, it's it's funny. I, I I tend to go on Facebook um, every day just to get rid of the whatever mad comment I made in like two thousand and eight. I just don't <laughs> recognise that guy anymore, so I might not be the right person to to, to comment on on uh, the the youth today. But I I just remember just thinking that at, at that time that there was just the, the pressures I thought I had just didn't didn't exist. You know, you the the, the time that's that that time that you have there is for sort of figuring yourself out finding out who you are you know and, and yeah you might have exams and I, I I speak to um some grads now who you know they they, they still live at home and and because it's so expensive to live in 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 Sydney um and they're they're putting so much pressure on themselves for exams or whatever it might be and yeah it's great to do that and it's, it's a great way of of finding out who where people should fit i suppose in in the future and, and starting point but you know that there, there there are people who well you know there, there are people that, that i work with that don't have degrees and it has never stopped them being success in, in what they do no one's ever stopped them and said oh sorry you you can't do this piece of work because you don't have a degree um so i think you just give yourself a break you know the, the <laughs> There's so many pressures. Just, mm. just give yourself a break is probably the best advice to, to give anyone at that age and just enjoy it. Because I think anyone who's over the age of, of 30 or, or getting close to 40, like, like myself, who sees an 18, 20-year-old, I think it's just jealousy of the of the time and, and the, 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 the lack of pressures that you've got. So um, just, in, just enjoy it would be the best best advice. And you will figure it all out. Mm. You, know, you, might, you might be 30 and not know what to do. That's fine. You know, mm. we'll figure it out. Yeah, that, that's sort of the old joke, right? Like the 80-year-old billionaire would give it all away tomorrow if he could be 18 again, you know, well, and, and have the youth back. Exactly. And, and that's sort of the real value that people, when you're 18, you think, I'm young, I don't have money, I'm yeah, living at home, I don't know what, what exactly. I want, or, the world doesn't care, but it's actually the youth is sort of what everyone else would, would you know, kill for. Um, so, so going back on, on main consulting, to sort of wrap us up, what does the future five to 10 year medium term, I suppose, even long term direction look like? I mean, are you aiming to, to build a big, you know, sort of company and, and expand what you do? You're aiming to be boutique and sort of be very specialist and, and very well known for what you do, you know, 
would you expand overseas? Would you expand verticals within Australia? What would you, you know, add on extra services or products? How do you sort of think about that, you know, decade long roadmap for like the 2020s of where you want to take the business? Yeah, we, every year we, we have a, our financial goals about what we want to achieve and we kind of work backwards from there about how we're going to achieve them. Um, and we, we have a five-year plan and then that sort of extends extends to a 10-year plan. Um, it's it's very difficult to to put a specific number on things about what we want to do, but I think from from our perspective and the three, um, three directors of the business, we would want to be in a stage within within 10 years to either be in a position position to to invest to to grow, whether that be territories or, or markets that we would look to grow out, or whether we set ourselves up to to be acquired and and to look at look at um, integrating to a to a larger business. Because I think there is a there is a shelf life for an organisation of our size. You know, you do have to make a decision of of are you going to take that next step one way or another. Um, so that would probably be within the, the next sort of five to seven years of, of where we want to go. The, the next the, the next year or so is is sort of pretty pretty mapped out what we want to achieve. And, and I think the I think we will look more broadly at um, Australia, and, and we will look to have a, a network of, of consultants working through us across Australia in different um, locations. Um, the other um, the other aspects is that we we will look at um, some of the markets that we look in. Do we do we continue to look in the the accounting and finance world and the IT world, or do we branch that out? So these are a few other considerations, and we want to play to our strengths at the same time. Um, but yeah, there's a there's a lot of sort of factors to it. And, you know, try not to sort of be too too specific about what we mm. what we're looking to to <laughs> to achieve. But we do we do have some plans. And I think was it. Um, uh bill gates he said and it's completely true from from my side that people overestimate what will happen in a year's time but underestimate what will happen in 10 years time and i think that's one of the things i remember going to um so it's insane now to think about it i went to a few sort of conferences and different things where it was 2020 business vision and, and all that kind of thing and um you know all these ideas that people have for 2020 and then 2020 turned out to change everyone's world for, for was that for like five years reasons. like in 2015 or 2010 yeah that was it talking about yeah year 2020 and then yeah 2020 yeah what the world's <laughs> going to look like and we we're all sort of locked up in our houses and, and the yeah, rest of it. so yeah. so there's so many you know there's only so much forecasting you can do of course um with it and you know we've got we've got a good structure and a good um good sort of base level to go from now um, and you know, I think we, we offer quite an exciting proposition to, to people who want to come and join us um, and work with us as well. So um, I think that's the sort of the next baby steps forward for us. And, and if we keep working towards our longer term goal, that uh, that'll that'll all fall into place hopefully. Excellent, Yain. Any uh, final words you'd like to leave the audience with? <laughs> no. Um, well, I think last time I did one of these, I swore quite a lot, so I'm quite proud that I didn't uh, didn't do that. So, but thanks very much for having me, and um, yeah, I hope your listeners got uh, enjoyed it to a point. Excellent. Thanks so much for coming on. Good on you. Thanks, Derek. Thank you for listening to the Future of Australia podcast. If you liked the episode, please subscribe and leave a review in iTunes. To learn more about the Future of Australia project, check out futureofaustralia.com. To reach out to Derek directly, you can email Derek at futureofaustralia.com. That's D-E-R-E-K at futureofaustralia.com.